I don't know whether to apologize or... If you're new, and we start every service with a custom home, like, rap like that every... So it's just every week we have a new rap. Uh, so that was... Uh, no, that... Uh, moms, we love you guys. And next, next week is going to be a time we're going to celebrate you, as, as Mike already said. And, and honestly, we, we, try to go, we try to go huge. We're going to go big, and we'd love to have you. If you know um, some moms in your neighborhood that are, like, maybe not going to get the celebration they deserve, bring them. We're going to honor them. It's going to be really fun. Um, my name is Jeff. It is good to be with you. I know that most of you are thinking today is Cinco de Mayo, and you're, you're wrong. Uh, it is actually the day after May the 4th, which is, you see, there's a couple things I saw on the stage even today. It is the um, annual day of Nerdfest. Uh, May the 4th be with you, as we tend to know. Some of you know that already. Some of you are honored, like, you know you celebrated in some way. You've had some sort of Star Wars paraphernalia, you know, you wore. But it is the day after May the 4th, and so... May the fourth be with you. It's hard for me to say, but there you go. Um, good to be with you guys. Uh, we are in a series called Christian, and it has been a very, very cool series. I've been talking to a lot of you guys. Uh, just some feedback we've been getting from people is, this series has been great, because what we're looking at is, there's a lot of things people like about Jesus. In fact, Jesus is a pretty intriguing person in the Bible and in all of history. But more often than not, people who are investigating Jesus are confused by the people who are supposed to belong to him. Christians tend to get in the way of people understanding Jesus. And so we want to kind of unveil a little bit, kind of peel back a little bit. Some of us have accumulated a lot of misconceptions as we grew up about what Christians are all about and even missed the picture about Jesus. In fact, we've been saying a lot that um, over the past couple of weeks, I mean, this is the fifth week of the series, we've been saying over the past couple of weeks that um, a Christian is really describes what someone believes. And the, the term that describes the uh, the people who follow Jesus, because Christian was, you know, never used by Jesus. He never described his followers as Christians. That the term Christian was imposed upon the people who belonged to Jesus. It's only used three times in the Bible. But the term that Jesus used for people who would follow him, he invited people to follow him and become his disciples. And while a Christian is some, it describes what someone believes, discipleship describes how someone actually is, what they do. And it's been a very, very cool series as we've kind of learned about this stuff that... Um, it isn't, it isn't merely just a set of sort of propositions we're about. We're about following Jesus. And that's why Jesus' followers, in addition to being called disciples, called themselves the followers of the way, belonging to a particular, peculiar way about Jesus. So it's been a very, very cool series. And um, if you're new, this is a great time to be here. Or if you're kind of coming back to church, I met a bunch of you guys who are like, we haven't been to church in ages, and we're coming back. And this has been a great series in all those places. So it's been great to kind of come in, kind of refocus. What are we all about? We talk about being a Christian. What does that even mean? So let's do this. Why don't we pray together, and then we'll get into today's message. Father, we're grateful this is a place that we can laugh a little bit, that we can relax, that we can be ourselves. Jesus, we're thankful that you, you call people like John and Deanna um, to greater things that we get to somehow be a part of, that their story is um, really an extension of our own. God, we're grateful that you hear us, that for some of us as we come in here, there's a lot of us, we drag a lot of baggage into the weekend it has been a very tough week for us and that we need you to hear us and we're not sure perhaps maybe because the week's been so hard if you're even there. So God, we pray that you would reveal yourself today powerfully and personally. For others of us, guys, we've kind of walked through our week. We've had a sense of things being really great and often, God, it's those times when things are really great that we tend to lose our grip on the deeper truths about who you are. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, help us to gain a greater passion that you would challenge us and encourage us and provoke us 
to more, to more depth and to more intimacy with you. Father, as we get ready, already thinking about the, the week to come, we just honor this moment with a, a, a sort of a stillness and a silence that you might speak to us as become our custom. So, Father, would you speak to us in the quiet and the still that we might hear your voice, that you might quiet our hearts? Jesus, we know that in the quiet is when our emotion tends to surface. The things that we bury from the rest of our weeks can't really be hidden in the stillness. And so, Father, we pray that you would, you would work mightily in those things. And that, God, we would hear your voice speak clearly as we hear from your word and as we respond together in prayer and in singing. And so, Father, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, you've got a little outline uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bible or on the screen, that's great as well. Maybe you picked one up as you came in. But we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 15 for a lot of today and then um, also in Romans uh, 13. But you can just, if you want to turn your Bible, great. If you don't, just follow along on the screen. Um, but that's where we're going to be. Um, I, I, my in-laws are from Texas. And did someone, did someone just whoop? Yeah. In every time, whenever you say Texas, there's someone who will do a whoop. Whoop, yeah, ow, yeah, ow. It's always, that was a whoop. It was, it's, it's early, it's, nine, it's a nine o'clock service, so she just did one of these, whoop, hook em horns. That's all she did right there. This isn't like a Satan thing. A lot of you guys think that's what it is. This is hook em horns, right? Yeah, there you go. Now, my in-laws are from San Antonio. They've grown, and their, their whole lives have been spent, with the, with the exception of a little chunk where they spent in Southern California, but they spent most of their lives in Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, my father-in-law, um, because he spent a little time here, is where I actually, it's how my wife and I met. We, you know, we were both in college at the time. But um, we're, I, I meet my wife here, um, and uh, my father-in-law begins to find out about, he's kind of learning about surf culture. And so he's kind of learning about those kind of things because, you know, I surf and I'm talking to him about stuff. And my, my buddy and I, were real, we, I had his house all the time talking about surfing. And now every year at Christmas, what he wants from us is always a T-shirt from like a local surf shop around here. Something that's like not a, you know, not just like a surf brand, but he wants like a local surf shop so he can wear it around, around San Antonio. And people will think, well, that guy, he might surf, you know, because in San Antonio, like one out of every 12,000 people might have even heard of surfing, you know. So he's there in San Antonio and he's in the grocery store and he's wearing some shirt, some local, you know, surf shop shirt that we bought him who knows when. And the, the, this, is, this, is my, this is my father-in-law living his dream right here. Because here's what happens. And by the way, in Texas, and you know this, Hook'em Horns person over there, you know this, that people in Texas, when they, when they um, at the, like, they don't, they're not in the same kind of hurry you are. No, like, we don't even know. You think you're like, everything's going, like, the pace at which everything moves is so slow. And they think that they're like this huge metropolitan area where life is happening and it's just going crazy. No. Because here's how you know. You go to the grocery store and this is how it works. The clerk goes like this. How you doing? Boop, you know, uh-huh, how's your wife, everybody doing all right, boop, like, mm-hmm, yeah, boop, now, now this is delicious, have you guys also, boop, like, this is the, it's the pace, and that's speedy, for us, it's like, don't talk to me, go, 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 right, now, so this guy, in particular, the checker at the, what they call the H-E-B, this is the, the nodding of the H-E-B, okay, this is the grocery store there, it's like Vaughn's or Ralph's, only all the aisles are wide, it's amazing, all the aisles are wider, the food's taller, everything's, it's just like, you go, well, land must be cheap here. And it is. Okay. So the guy's doing this. He's doing these, checking the groceries. Beep. 
beep, as this, everything's coming in. And he looks up at my father-in-law and goes, oh, hey, man, you surf? And my father-in-law brilliantly answers this question. Now, my father-in-law has never surfed in his life, but he knows enough to carry on a conversation in which he never actually has to answer the question, yes or no. But enable, just enables this other guy, this younger guy, to like have this belief about him. So he goes, hey, man, you surf? Well, yeah, I lived there. He says, well, I used to live in Southern California for a long time, you know, and so that's, you know. Oh, man. Now, people in Texas say this a lot. Man, that's awesome. Everybody, that's just like a phrase. It's all the time. Man, that's awesome. So, oh, man, you surf? Well, I lived in Southern California for a long time, and, you know, so. Wow, man, that's awesome. Now, where'd you you like to surf, man? Now, he knows enough from talking to me, like, where some places to surf are. So he, he's like, well, and he even knows, he's like, well, it depends on the swell direction, you know, uh, you know, some of the west-facing beaches, or he names all these, you know, it's like, he knows enough to answer these questions. And then the, guy, then the guy's like, man, I'd sure like to surf. And then my father-in-law, again, knows enough to, ha- this guy still has no, he's not yet at, directly answered the question, my father-in-law. He's just sort of kept it going. And he goes, the, the guy, the checker guy goes, well, you know, I'd really like to surf, I, you know, Chris, well, I'd really like to surf sometime, man. And he goes, well, my father goes, well, you know, you probably want to start with a longboard and kind of learn it. I mean, he just, he knows every answer and his whole, he's living the dream. So now when he walks out of the store, he just, he's carrying his groceries or whatever. And every time he goes, because you always go to the same place, there's that checker. Hey, Bob, man, how's it going? How's the surf? You know, and hey, you know, hey there. You know, just, he just, my father-in-law gets to live the dream. This guy gets to live the dream. And he never once directly answered the question about whether or not he actually surfs. Now, here's what's happening. There's this sort of intended deception without, the, without actually ever lying, which means my father-in-law has found a loophole for a way to sort of get what he wants and give this other guy what he wants. Now, this is the most serious of offenses, but you get the picture here. He's never lied, and yet he's never really told the truth either. But everything he said has been true. Christians are notorious for this kind of thing, on a much greater scale, not just sort of letting a guy believe that you could serve, but on a much greater scale, Christians are notorious for finding and loving the loopholes about things that we're allegedly supposed to be about. Presumably these are things we would do. We love loopholes for us, and even more insidious, if you were here last week, we actually love to find and exploit and point out that other people are utilizing loopholes to find their own freedom. We like them for ourselves, but we're really intent on the strictness of other people's sort of behavior. It turns out that Jesus has a few things to say about this kind of stuff. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, this is where we pick up our story. Here's where it is. Then some Pharisees, this is, these are religious leaders in the community, and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked. First, let me stop right there. The Pharisees, these religious leaders and teachers of the law, these are people that are upholding the way people ought to live and be in the community. And it says that they came from Jerusalem, which means it's not just like the local group of people. It's like the bigwigs from Jerusalem who have come to hear and talk to Jesus, who is kind of messing everything up. So verse 2, they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, tradition of the elders, let me just give you a little bit of background. There's 600 or so laws in the, in the Hebrew Bible that describe the way in which people are supposed to behave. The Pharisees have added what looks like about 1,500 additional laws. And the reason why they added those laws, first of all, is this. When they looked at the, the state of the, the people of Israel, what they looked at was they said, man, 
the reason why we're in such dire straits, why the Romans are here and they're telling us what to do, it's because we as a people have been disobedient. So what we have to do is elevate the level of righteousness for our people and then God will clearly swoop in with his you know, angels with swords and he'll just stab Romans. It'll be awesome. It'll be this glorious thing. So all the Pharisees say, what we have to do is elevate the level of righteousness and not only just this, so we'll take even things that belong to the priests for their particular role in the temple and we'll apply that to everybody. Everybody now has a new role of purity and righteousness. So this is kind of their intent. Now, the tradition of the elders is all of the sort of commentary, the oral tradition at which people look, the, the teachers would look at the law and they'd go, you know, man, there's other ways we should apply this stuff. We should, we should actually add some more things when this, this means this. They started beginning to develop a whole set of ways in which you could apply these things. And it was passed down as oral tradition until the second century where it finally got written down. And that tradition is called the halakha, which means the way of walking. So... Here's the way in which people are supposed to walk. The way in which their faith will be lived out is in this tradition. And Jesus is challenged here, only he's challenged indirectly, because the Pharisees come to, him, come to him and say, why do your disciples ignore or break the tradition of the elders? Now, they're indirectly asking Jesus, because disciples are known to always follow in the same path as their teacher, as the master. So what is being asked of Jesus about his disciples is actually being asked of him. So he's implicated in this disobedience that he's no longer following the tradition of the elders, which everybody, the Pharisees held everybody to follow. And he's specifically, they're targeting, why don't you wash your hands before they eat? Like this is the kind of ceremonial washing that was supposed to be applied to priests only. And he's, and they're saying, why don't your disciples do this? Verse three, Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Back up. Remember, now here's what's happening. Jesus gets asked a pointed question about his disobedience of this oral tradition. And then Jesus responds with a pointed question. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And now if you have an outline, if you're following on an outline, you brought a pen or in your own Bible, or if you have a way to highlight one word, I would just highlight the word your. Jesus is known in other parts of his own ministry where he's actually adhering to the oral tradition. What's being illustrated here is that there's some level of which these people have elevated their own particular interpretation of tradition over the application of law. He answers a pointed question with a pointed question. Verse 4. For God said, honor your, mother and, uh, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, by the, way, by the way, the word curses is also translated the word insult, so it's a little, even a little less severe. Anyone who insults their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Let me just really simplify this. The honoring of the father and mother, this is in like the top ten, the big ten of the Old Testament. This is like the Ten Commandments saying... Honor mom and dad. And the implications for that change as we get older with the relationship to our parents. Particularly unique about honoring our mother and father is when they're at the end of their life. Now what's being said here is this. The Pharisees have found a way to justify not taking care of their parents as they get older. And here's how. The oral tradition says, 
if you set aside some stuff, material, whatever, money, all that kind of stuff, you set that aside and you dedicate it to God in some way or another, that means it cannot be used then for any other purpose. And they say, we've set aside some money. We've set aside some ways to take care of our families. So when they're in need, we set aside, this is, it's supposed to be for our parents, but we, now we've set it aside for God. And when our families are in need, we can't then serve them. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 really what you've done, you set this money aside, it's not, it's not for God. It's so you don't have to take care of people that are supposed to care about. This is really about greed. You found a way by adding some laws or elevating some oral tradition to not have to take care of people. You found a loophole. You found a way to get out of something that you didn't really want to do. In fact, there's this sort of sense of the tradition sort of overriding because of the way you've always done it, overriding what God had commanded. In fact, you could say that the, the simpler, the easier commands have supplanted the more difficult ones. And you found a loophole for greed. Sort of like this. Maybe you can relate to this sort of idea at some level. Maybe you've been on either side of this conversation at some point in your life, or maybe you will be. Just imagine a conversation with a teenage kid and a mom. Mom, can I go to that party this Friday night? Are parents going to be there? Yes, most definitely. Now, fast forward through the party scenario and the intricate web of mom networks that sort of works to to figure out and decipher the fact that kids are lying and through their whatever magical power they have to sort of unify their stories and they get together and all the network of moms comes together and says there were no parents at this party and now the confrontation begins. Son, turns out there were no parents at that party. That's not what you asked me, mom. You asked me if they were, if they were coming, if, they were, if parents were going to be there. You didn't ask me when they were going to be there. Eventually they're going to come home. And you see what happens, mom, is you would have wanted me, what you're asking me to say is, are our parents going to be there? You want, me, you want me to lie and tell you that they're not going to be there? Because they were going to come home. You think I'd hang out with kids whose parents abandoned them? I would never do that. I would only hang out with parents and families who are together because that's all, I know you've taught me well and you would want me to do that. You know what happens when people do this kind of deception is they, they die. I don't want anybody to die. But I'm, I'm sorry, did I? I don't, I'm not sure I follow what happened here. But somehow people are dying because you went to a party. I'm not clear. But you get this sense. Mom. You ask me a question, are parents going to be there? Of course they're going to be there eventually, mom. Therefore, I'm not actually breaking the rules, right? Now, all of a sudden, you have this conversation where mom is like, oh, that's great. I like this argument. You're grounded. Get out. You know, like this is kind of the way that sort of ends up. It never works out well for the kid. But what the kid's looking for here is a loophole, a way to say, I didn't break the rules, or I broke the rules without actually having to break a technicality. I found a technicality and a way to get away with something. This is what's happening here. Jesus says, Matthew 15, verse 7, you hypocrites. Isaiah, meaning a prophet, was right when he prophesied about you. Let me stop right there. So many of you who are investigating what it's like to belong or to follow Jesus, to belong to Jesus or follow, whatever that might look like, so many of you have gone, I would, I would really consider Jesus. But the people who belong to him, these people are hypocrites. I watch what they say. I've heard a little bit about Jesus, and yet their lives look totally different. And you are longing for someone to say, hypocrites, you're longing to be able to say it. Some of you, so here's what I'm going to do, just so we're all on the same page. We all can, we're, we're going to get a chance to just 
release this. Some of us have our own frustration about all the other people, not us, but about all the other people, because all, we're all we're good. But everybody else, they're kind of questionable. So here's what we're going to do. Right now, I'm going to give you a chance to yell that word, okay, in this room. You're going to get a chance to be able to say it. And it is, it is for everyone. It's a release of just, this is how I have felt at one point in my life. Some of you are like, I'm so glad I get to do this. This is a great choice. So on the count of three, we're just going to yell the word, and then we'll, we'll let it go, okay? Here we go. The word is hypocrites, because some of you are like, what word are we supposed to yell? Okay, it's <laughs> 9 o'clock. Stay with me. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Hypocrites. Some of you got a little too eager there. Some of you excited about that a little too much. That's all right. I get it. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is talking to these religious people who are supposed to uphold righteousness, and he says about them, you're play actors, you're members of the Greek tragedy, you're on the stage, you're wearing a mask, and you're hypocrites. You are faking people out. The external stuff that everybody sees... Man, that's really not what's going on here. You have a heart that's totally corrupt. Hypocrites. So he says this. Quoting Isaiah, this is chapter 29. He says this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. This is like the ultimate insult to a Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees are saying, look, we're all about righteousness. We want to elevate the amount of righteousness going on here. We're going to put rules around the rules so that nobody gets hurt. We want to make sure that God is so totally protected. All the laws are upheld. And we're going to put all these rules around these rules. And this will be the way that we're going to operate. And then Jesus calls them the ultimate insult, which is, you know, God speaking to his own people when they're in exile, saying, you guys talk about stuff. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are so far from me. It's the ultimate insult Jesus has for these guys. Verse 10. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Here's what's being said. Remember this conversation started about ritual purity. You shouldn't eat these things unless your hands are ceremonially clean, which isn't true. It's not in the Bible, only for the priests. Priests have a special cleanliness. But Jesus is saying, this whole conversation was about cleanliness. And what he now says is, after this conversation, so the Pharisees have a conversation with Jesus. Why do you disrespect the tradition of the elders? And Jesus says, why do you break the command of God by adding this other little tradition to kind of avoid taking responsibility? And then, the, you know, then he calls them hypocrites, hypocrites. And then the Pharisees are like, we have to go back to Jerusalem now. You know, like, you know, how do they walk out of the scene? So Jesus then has this conversation. He turns from the Pharisees and talks to a crowd and he goes, you guys. The Pharisees have told you all about clean and unclean. Let me tell you what's really clean and unclean. What makes you clean or unclean isn't the food that goes into your mouth. It's actually what comes out of your mouth. The words which reveal your heart. Later on in the chapter, it also, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 7, he ha- or maybe it's Mark chapter 8, he has the same, he says this line, by this he made all food clean. Now, it doesn't mean that then immediately the disciples were like, Oh, thank goodness. This is great. Let's have ham for dinner and bacon for breakfast. Yeah, this is the greatest news ever. That's not what they're thinking. Now, that could have been what they were. That could have been appropriate how they would celebrate, but that's not what actually, that's actually not what's going on here. What he's actually trying to say is, it's that the condition and the content of our own hearts is the most critical component of cleanliness. In other words, looking to find a loophole to get out of things is really about the heart deceiving yourself. 
And Jesus is saying, this isn't how the people who follow me are going to be known. Finding ways to get around taking responsibility. I find myself in a similar trap often. I like to figure out ways to skirt the most difficult responsibilities and things that are part of my own life. And I like trying to find ways where I minimize the impact when I kind of blow it. Like, oh, it really wasn't that big a deal because of these reasons. We like to, maybe this is just me, but we tend to have a fascination for getting as close to doing things wrong as possible and then backing off at the very edge of that line. You know, we try to be, there's a part of us that wants to see how much can we get away with until you're upset? God, like, I just, God, I know this is over here is like, we know way over there is ultimate evil, but like, what's this? Is this like a little bit more? Is it, what's, the, as I get a little closer, when do you start going, hey, back off? Now, uh, the other day, we got, a, um, we got a, a little fire pit we put in our backyard, and, and, and it's like, it's not, it's like a little, you know, we bought it at Target. It's like, you, we put it there. It's not like we built a big, you know, chiminea thing or whatever, but it's just a little fire pit, and we have some wood in there. We're, we're having a marshmallow roast at our house, and I'm watching my kids who are, you know, four and seven and nine, watching them learn how to roast marshmallows, and it's very funny to watch this because all of them believe, now, and all of us already, all of us already know, like, the the rule of the marshmallow, like to get a golden brown marshmallow, you have, to have a, you have to be a person of extreme patience. You know, really, basically, it's like you try to wait there and you're like, now you just hold it right above the flames. And they just, it, the flames will tickle the bottom of the marshmallow and you rotate. Like, you're like, forget it. This takes forever. So you just kind of, eventually, you're like, you got to try to speed up the process. And you find the little oven-shaped, like, hole in the, in the fire pit, you know what I'm talking about? And it's like this nice burn. That looks like, it's a nice little warm place. And, you know, you know there's like a threshold when it goes from golden brown to meteor. You know, just like, wow, and it's a meteor. You know, the Olympic theme is, you know, bum, 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 whatever it is. Like, you have that moment, and you watch your kids going, Dad, can you make it like just a golden brown thing? And you're like, you got 30 minutes, because it'll take that long. So you're watching this thing. Now, watching my kids do this. They're trying to figure out how to get it so it doesn't turn into a piece of just flaming charcoal on the end of a stick. And you watch them trying to do it, and they get a little closer and back off, get a little closer and back off, and eventually they leave it, because they're because of, mostly because of patience, they leave it, and they're just long enough, and then bam, the whole thing just, and it falls off. You know, Dad, what happened to it? My youngest will take the, the thing, and he does not yet realize the power of, like, fire, so he's got it, and he's like, Dad, like, waving it around. We're like, whoa, hey, buddy, <laughs> trying to catch up to it. But there's a point at which the sort of idea of how close can I get will, will tends to turn tragically sort of like into this charcoaly burnt thing. And you basically, when you're eating, for me anyways, when you're eating roasted marshmallows, you just have to be okay with a burnt, you know, charcoal piece of goo. You know, like, you know, whatever. That, that's what you have to be okay with because it never really works out well. For us, people who tend to seek loopholes in our own lives, more often than not, we end up getting feeling the effects of being a little too close for too long. The Apostle Paul, writing in Romans 6, says this. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, this, the rest of this passage only is reiterating here. I just don't have enough room or time to put it into it. Verse 11, skip down. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Let me just do this. If you have your outline or, you know, you're following along in the Bible, I would just circle the word rain. You know, just kind of highlight this idea of rain here because we're going to come back to it in a second. Verse 13. 
do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now let me stop there. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying here to the church in Rome, and he's saying is that there's a corruption within our own hearts that wants permission that wants to be the exception, that wants to be allowed to do certain things. And what Christians have been known to do, not you guys, but the other ones, not in here, but other I've heard, maybe you've heard of this, but they tend to have a tendency to manage the outward expression that their life might look like everything's together, but inwardly there's this sort of hiddenness, a buried sort of secrecy within our own hearts. And most Christians, again, not us, will spend a lot of time and effort and energy trying to manage sin. That what we'll, what we'll do, I mean, we'll just group us a little bit here, is we'll dwell on this sort of thing in our lives that we're going, I wonder if this is okay, I wonder if there's a loophole for this. We'll try and talk to some people, we'll do some research, we'll try to find a way to tame this thing that's within us. And if there's anything we could find in the Bible about sin, it never once talks about managing it. it. Turns out that sin isn't really something that can be managed. That thing that's sort of secretly devouring you that nobody else knows about, that stuff, that isn't something to be managed. It's something to be conquered and put to death. That's why Paul has this language here. That sin isn't something that we just sort of, well, you know, if you guys could just put a little few things around that and kind of contain that, that'd be great. What he says is this is something that ought to be conquered and put to death. So it should be dead within us. And this is what Jesus does. Uh, what he does isn't just ultimately give us a way that we're sort of going to heaven when we die. That's not the ultimate. So that's, that's a wonderful component of this for sure. But that he actually takes and gives to us the power over sin and death because he demonstrated power over sin and death in his own death and resurrection, which we celebrated Easter. That those things in our life which are reigning within us, that we're trying to manage can be conquered. This past week, we had a, we had a, um, a meeting with our associate elders and on Thursday up in, the, uh, up in the upper room. And it was catered by this really good Mexican restaurant. And so um, there was just, there was a, and there was a lot of food left over. So there's like this huge, I mean like a, a kitchen trash bag sized bag of chips. And then there's these like quart containers of guacamole. Left over. Like, there's some that had been eaten, but most of it's sort of left. So it's in the office for the people that come in the office and all of us that are here, like, just to kind of snack on during the day. Well, I realize, there's, and there's, these chips are awesome. The guacamole's just calling my name. And so there it is right there. And I'm, all day, I am just walking by, finding reasons to walk by this table and just, uh-huh, what were you saying? Uh-huh, can we just have a meeting over here right now? Let's just do this. And, and eventually I'm real, realizing I've only had a Dr. Pepper and chips and guacamole all day. And I've been eating it since I got here, like at, you know, nine or whatever, all the way through till about whenever. I just keep on going, uh-huh, yeah, what are you guys saying? I'm just going to real quick, I'm just go back to my desk real quick because I can't just, it's, I'm right there. And I'm, you know, and then I would just come over to my desk for a little bit and I walk back, call some people over. Hey, let's have a little conversation. Oh, look, there's chips over here. I didn't realize those were there. And just, ha what? Okay, just one, just one more second. You know, like, where are we going? Like, and I realize I've got this, like, man, I got, like, an issue now. There, I, this thing is clearly a weakness for me. And, you know, I'm totally caught off guard by that. No, just, so, I, uh, I, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to put the lid back on the guacamole because that will, that's probably going to keep me from just walking over there. And then what I'll do is I will, I will, I will twist the bag. 
of chips so that it will create an additional barrier for me before I have to get in there. Because I wouldn't, you know, just the access, it's the access is the issue, and it's just, I will put them right here, and I'll go back over to my desk. And I'll, and I've, you know, it's like, I go back over to the thing, I'm unwinding the thing as fast as I can, ha, ha, what? You know, just, this is so good. If you guys had this before, it's really good. You know, so I'm, and I put, I'm like, this is the only way this is going to work. The only way, if I really am not going to eat these things, which I, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out if anyone would have thrown them away because I might go up there and take them before I leave. It's secret to my head. I brought some food. I just found this. I didn't wear it. You know, but, but the only way for me to stop actually going back to the chips and the guacamole is if they're thrown away. If they're in the trash and I actually have to go, I mean, it depends. I think part of me is like, I wonder how, how were they placed into the trash? Could I... They were just neatly placed, and the lid was on there. Could I? I mean, there's part of me that's like, I've got to, I've, there's an issue here where I'm just trying to manage this appetite, this desire within me with simple little things that are really aren't dealing with the core issue, what's going on. Paul says this stuff in our lives isn't something that we can, that just, we can sort of manage. Because what we'll tend to do is look for loopholes. We'll try to find ways to justify it being there the longer we try to manage it. In fact, there's actually this sort of, you really, the longer you've been in church, the easier it is to sort of find ways to actually use the Bible to justify certain things. When we talk about even, even, not just our own sort of stuff in our own lives that affects us, that's our own personal stuff, we start talking about our attitudes or behaviors that are towards other people, we can find things in the Bible to justify the most bizarre, weird behavior. The, the Bible has been used to justify the unlove of a lot of people, and the Bible can never be utilized to do that. That's not what its intention is. It's not what we're about. The Bible has been used to justify racism, slavery, war, genocide. There's a story a pastor tells about a guy who came in his church to talk to him, and he said, hey, I got a huge problem. My daughter wants to, she's engaged to, to marry a guy of a different race. Well, what am I, I going to tell her? It's not biblical. <laughs> the pastor kind of, you know, laughed. <clears throat> how? How? how why, where? Where do you see that in the Bible? And he goes, well, Moses married a Moabite woman. And then he was prevented from going to the promised land. It's like, Moses married. So then there's like, did you not remember? This is where we talk about the difference between correlation and causation. Uh, there's he marries a woman, and there's like... A lot of chapters of the people of Israel disobeying God and being angry and Moses making some pretty poor decisions and then there being the reason why he didn't go into the promised land. But this guy took an episode in which someone of a different race is married and says this is the result and made it say what he wanted to say to justify his own racism. You see, there's this really difficult thing for people which is that there's a part of us that loves loopholes, that loves to find things that enable us to have our own positions or beliefs or behaviors that may be contradictory to the bigger picture of what God wants to do. A couple chapters later, the Apostle Paul writes this. Romans 13, he says this. He's just bottom lining the whole notion of what it means to follow the law. He says this. Let no debt remain outstanding. Accept the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let's stop right there. Christians are always looking to try to find a way to get out of this kind of debt. Haven't I met my quota? Isn't it enough? Do I really have to love those people? You know, I don't think I'm supposed to love that person anymore because of this. There's no real reason why I should have to do X, Y, Z with those people. It doesn't matter. I'm done. I don't have to deal with those people anymore. 
what the disciples say. I am ever increasing in an impounding debt of love. I never get to say, I've got enough love forever. I've, those people have been loved enough. I've been compassionate enough or found a way to be loving enough to those people or found a way. No one ever gets to say, I've just loved enough. Remember the basic premise of being a disciple? We talked about this last week. That everybody who is a disciple, one who follows Jesus, would be known by this one thing. Jesus talks to his disciples right before he's about to go to the cross and he says, this is what we're about. We're going to be known by this, that we would love each other. This is sort of the, this is the, this is the way in which we sort of capture what Jesus' heart is all about. That we would be a community of people who are genuinely loving each other and serving people who are not part of this community and loving them. There never gets to be a time in which we say, we've got enough of that around here. In fact, I would tell you, by the way, just to sort of add some clarity to this message, just to say, go back, listen online to last week's message. But Jesus is saying, as Paul's reiterating, the thing we're about here is love, and we can never find a loophole to unlove someone else. Verse 9, he says this, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you're not sure how to act or behave, the filter through which you ought to question everything is, is this a loving act? Is this a selfish act? Is this a loving act? This is the question we're asking. Paul says when you're looking at your own life, whatever it is that might be, whether it's secret or buried or there's a loophole, whatever, is this a loving thing? Is this the way we're going to go? What unifies all the commands isn't the precision theology, the belief in a set of prepositions or propositions about faith. No, 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 no. The unifying command of the unifying whole principle over all this stuff, love. Like I said, this is kind of like part two of last week. Let me just give you a sense, too, for what this might look like for me. Because the question we're all wrestling with now is, what does it look like for me to abandon my own loopholes? The one I frequently go to, the one that I use to justify my own behavior, my own thoughts, actions, even the secret stuff that I don't tell anybody else, all that stuff that like only a few people know about, whatever that, that stuff. The way that I find a loophole, it isn't a biblical one. I don't try to find it in scripture. But I justify my behavior in being tired. I'm so sorry. I was just, I'm just tired. I didn't mean to say that. I, I'm just tired. I didn't mean to do that either. I just, I'm tired. Now, you have to think about this for a moment. I don't know if that's your thing. That's your loophole that you frequently run to. But I can make myself pretty tired to justify the way that I want to live as easily as I want, I can work really hard. I can run myself ragged and justify the way that I want to live. That's a loophole I find in my own life. That I say, it's okay. I give myself permission and exception to act a particular way because I'm tired. What is it for you? In your own life. And you go, I need a way to just give myself permission. It's with this. Even though I know it's destructive or damaging or unfruitful, or selfish, what's the permission you give yourself? 
the way in which I want us to kind of consider what moving forward what this looks like is this, just this one question. I think if you ask this question, it changes the, the trajectory of our lives, our relationships, our friendships, uh, the people that we're around, the people that don't even know us yet, and it's this question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? In other words, God's invited us through Jesus to be connected to him, in which we have a loving relationship with him, And the way in which we're marked by that relationship is our own love for other people. What does love require of me? What does love require of me in my family, or in my friendships, or in my marriage, or in my neighborhood, or in my work? Not how do I get away with stuff, but what does love really require of me? The life that you want isn't one in which you're looking for exceptions to allow things that could destroy you to be present, to be managed. The life that all of us want is one in which we live freely as loved people who are living in a loving community. That's what we're looking for. Not loopholes. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes for just a moment as we pray? Consider this. just ask you just in the sort of quiet stillness what does love require of me when you think about your own family the people that you have the most connection to what does love require of me with your eyes closed what does when you think about your own relationship with the people that you would call your your friends does love require of me? When you consider the people that you work with, that you see every day, the people that you go to school with, what does love require of me? When you consider those people that you have wronged in your past, what does love require? When you think about those people who have wronged you, what does love require of me? And in your own heart, in the secret places where sin is managed, if you're serious about what it means to follow Jesus, knowing that he so deeply loves you that no matter what you were ever to do, nothing could ever separate you from his love, Maybe now is the time to confess just to him. Father, I know this stuff is present in my life. I'm aware of it, and I want you to know that I know it's there. Maybe confession is what love requires of you. Father, we're a group of people who have a tendency at times to find loopholes and justifications for our own behavior. And we're people, Father, who need restoration and hope, and we need to kill some things that are reigning in our own life. Father, we trust you to give us the power to put those things to death. That we might be people who no longer seek seek loopholes, but who seek love. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.